Holy God, we just praise you. We just thank you for that reminder of a simple gospel that we don't need to overcomplicate our understanding and our belief in you. There's so many theologies and doctrines that we can get caught up in, but at the end of the day, what matters is we believe in Jesus crucified. That that saves us from our sin, that admits us into the family of God. It changes everything. And we thank you for that simplicity, oh God. In your holy name we pray. Amen. As I was doing uh, some devotion this morning, I I came across a quote by D.L. Moody, who uh, is about an 1800s theologian, and it said this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And I just, that hit me in the core. It took, I took it to heart. How many times have I come to meet with God with expectations of what I want and how I feel like things should be and how things should go and what is supposed to happen? And I walk away just empty, seeing nothing's happening. I don't see you, God. What's going on? And the reality is I was full of myself before I walked in. There wasn't room for God to speak into my life because I didn't allow it. So God, we pray into this morning that there would be an emptiness in us, not in an an abandonment, but an emptiness in a space for you, God, that we have set it aside, that we have less of ourselves, that as scripture says, we would die to ourselves, Father, that there would be more of you and room for you in our lives, that there would be a space for you to pour into, oh God that we would leave knowing you, full of awe and wonder in who you are, our creator and our God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we're studying uh, the first uh, chapter of Mark. Uh, Last week, as I said earlier in our announcements, we got to uh, verse 1, and and that was the extent of it, which is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that was it. That's as far as we got into. And we broke down that title and and set up kind of who Mark is and why he was writing this book and who he was writing it to. So if you didn't catch that, go back, rewatch it. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on iTunes. It's on uh, our our Parkway website. But take time because these are all going to build on each other. And so this week, we're going to go through the next two verses, verses two and three. But I want to set up with this, the same statements I made last week. This is who we're talking about. This is the gospel. He is Jesus. He has died. He has risen to life again. He has cured the curse of sin. He has defeated the penalty of death. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is good news. He is gospel. And this week we're adding, He is prophecy fulfilled. Our understanding of the prophets prepares the way for our interactions with Jesus. And you need prophets to have a prophecy. So this is where this is tying in. 
you're going to need to stay with me a little bit. The beginning of this, we're going to break a bunch, a whole bunch of things, and then we're going to sew it back together at the end. And I promise we should land uh, at the same spot. But our understanding of the prophets prepares the way for our interactions with Jesus and how people will understand Jesus. If you don't understand who the prophets were or why they were writing or what they're writing, especially when they're quoted in the New Testament, it's really hard to quote scripture to people. Because we don't know why things were said or why they were repeated and remembered in the New Testament. So, as I said last week, through the month of August, we're going to go through and address how the gospel prepares the way to Jesus, how the prophets prepared the way to Jesus, how John the Baptist prepared the way to Jesus, and we will end on baptism and how that prepares the way to Jesus, both for us and for our world. And that's a big deal because we should be going out and speaking about the good news. The, the gospel should be more exciting than, as I said last week, when pizza shows up earlier than the 30-minute timeline. Yes, that's good news and exciting, but that's not what we go out and tell people. We should be going out and telling people about Jesus and who he is and what he has done and is continuing to do and what he offers. And that is the most exciting thing in our lives. Now let's read through uh, Mark 1, 1 to 8, just to get reference to where we are. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So again, last week we spoke about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This week we're hitting verses 2 and 3, which is, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, Warren Wearsby, who is uh, one of the commentators that I like to read, and I actually learned this morning in thinking of how I could best describe him to you, he only passed away last year, but he was a commentator, he was a pastor, he was a theologian uh, of our time speaking into and preparing the people to understand what God has been saying. So Warren Wearsby says this, In ancient times, before a king visited any part of his realm, a messenger was sent before him to prepare the way. Now, this included repairing the roads, but also preparing the people. By calling the nation to repentance, John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah and Malachi 
voices, joined voices in declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord Jehovah God. Now, there's two things I want you to catch. One, we just noted Isaiah and Malachi, yet when I re- read the scripture, it said Isaiah. We're going to come back to that, so just kind of tuck that away for now, and then I'll make sense later. But what I really want to hit on is this idea of repairing the roads and preparing the people. This is what the king's messenger did. It went out into the realm and started making sure that the pathway was easy for the king to get to the people, that the debris was moved, that the road was smooth, that it was straight, that it didn't bend and go through rivers and prepared the people, letting them know that something exciting is coming to them. Something is changing. There's going to be a difference. Get ready. And that's really what the prophets did. They, they put that out there. And especially, this is why Mark is um, reminding the people of this scripture, of this prophecy that Isaiah says that there's a messenger coming because Mark is saying the messenger has already been. The messenger was here. Did you see it? Did you notice the difference? Did you notice the change? And, and the notion that we are the church, that we are the people, that we are the sons and daughters of God. And that means that we should be preparing the road as well and preparing the people. Letting them know that our heavenly father is coming, that the king is coming, that something different is coming. Have you got things in order? Have we made the way for the king to be easy and straight to the people? Or have we put up barriers and or have things in, in time and in life got in the way? Have we started preparing the way, clearing the debris, making the road straight that the king can find us and get to us and present himself to us, but also to the world, to our community? And that's what we are called to do. We prepare the way. Now, I want to jump into something from Peter Enns, and Peter Enns is a living American uh, biblical scholar and theologian, and again, this is where I'm tearing a bunch apart at the beginning, and we're going to sew it together at the end. So it might seem like we're jumping a bit, but we need the context. So Pete N says this, Mark's gospel has two, maybe more endings, which complicates things. An original shorter ending and a longer one added in the second century— probably, that's when we think it got there, to make it look like the other three Gospels, we think. Now, if you open your Bible and you turn to uh, Mark 16, once you hit about verse 9, most Bibles have a, a break, and it says, not all manuscripts include. And then it whole, has a whole extra, what is this, uh, 11 verses that aren't always included in all the different manuscripts. It says this, in the shorter ending, Mary Magdalene, mother, uh, Mary the mother of James and Salome, come to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They see the rock uh, uh, to the tomb rolled away, and a, a young man, one, not two in this rendition, are sitting there who tells them what happened. They are frightened, so they run away, telling no one, though in one of the possible later editions, they do tell Peter and the other. The end. In the longer ending to Mark, he kind of rewinds it a a bit, and now Jesus appears only to Mary Magdalene, and she tells the others, but they don't believe her until Jesus starts appearing to them himself. And Jesus also appears to two men along the road, which is also found in Luke, and, and then commissions the disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation, which is also found in Matthew. 
So it kind of looks like whoever added these parts might have been using Luke and Matthew as guidelines. But what I want you to get from this is that this is an example of preparing the way. The biblical writers were continually shaping the gospel, the good news, Jesus, in a way that would be understood by the audience they were trying to reach. Remember last week we spoke that Matthew was written to the Jews and that Luke was written to the Greeks and that John was just really into spiritual philosophy and that Mark wrote this book to the Romans. There were specific people and and audiences that they were writing to. And so in that way, they took their understanding of events and did shape them a little bit. Now, I was blessed last week. Someone sent me a a book in the mail. And if you know anything about me, I I love books and collect far too many of them. Uh, People ask, have you read all the books on your shelf? And I want to say yes. The reality is no. Uh, I've read a lot of titles and back pages and got really excited, but there's just so many. And for some reason, books keep coming. They just keep appearing in the bookstore. And so I end up with far too many. But someone blessed me with a book last week, which is the four gospels written in chronological order together in one book. So each author has a different colored font, but the idea is to piece it all together because they do line up, but they— all take a little different skew. Some things appear in all Gospels, some only in one Gospel, but they were all designed to speak to a specific audience. They were preparing the way for that audience. They were removing obstacles in the road. They were making the path straight, that there would be a way for the king. They were preparing the way, and that's what we see here in in Mark, is there's a little bit of a change added in possibly 200 years later as people were preparing the way, trying to make it so that the path was straight for the king to get to us. It's really repairing the roads and preparing the people. And if we are to prepare the way, we need to mend the broken pathways. We need to connect with people to give them the straight paths to Jesus. Because think about this. Have you ever had someone prepare the way for you? Uh, I I would assume many of you have gotten directions, and if you get bad directions, it's no good. I mean, there's the classic uh, scene from The Office when Google or Siri started telling directions, and it was the wrong way, clearly saying drive into the lake, and and Michael Scott says, no, I got to do what it says. The way has been prepared, and he ends up with his car in the lake. Well, that's not a good preparation of the way. Uh, Road trip directions, when you look for the uh, abandoned building or the fork in the road, like if they are prepared properly, you get Get there in the right way. Again, baking uh, is prepared way. Uh, Lego sends you prepared directions, which I generally refuse, uh, and then get to at the end because I have to and I haven't built the spacecraft properly. And then Ikea is probably the most common preparing of the way. And as soon as you open the booklet, the first thing it says is with those little blobby people is don't do it by yourself. And yet so many of us do, and then we break pieces or lose pieces and head back to Ikea to go to that bucket to be like, I, I need one of these. But when the way is prepared properly for us, the outcome is easier. The outcome is as expected even. Rather than us trying to fumble and figure our own way around and through it. Like with Lego, there are so many of the same colored pieces and you're like, does this one go here? Does this one go here? And it just doesn't necessarily line up. 
if you do it on your own. But when you follow the directions, when you prepare the way or take the preparation that someone has put before you, the outcome is as expected. A straight and clear path with mended tools and understanding carry you to the end. That's really what the gospel does, and that's what Mark is trying to do here, is prepare the way so that we have access to the Father because the pathway is narrow and straight and clear. We know where we're going. So let's head back to the verse that we're focusing on today, verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. As with many passages in Isaiah, the prophecies, especially in, in chapter 40, verse 3, which is where this is referenced, anticipate both a short-term and a, a long-term fulfillment of prophecy. In the short term, the words of Isaiah 40 promised the Jews of the Babylonian captivity that they would one day return to Israel. That's why this prophecy in Isaiah is important. It's an Old Testament prophecy saying, Jewish people, Israelites, there is a time coming where you will be freed from your captivity. They would one day return to their land in Israel and God would lead them back to their homeland after seven decades of bondage making a straight path of deliverance for them. I think that's something we often forget when we pray out to God for deliverance, for direction, that we expect it in the immediacy, and yet every time we look in the Old Testament, we see things that happen in decades. It was a time of people holding in faith, and not just, God, we prayed and you're going to do it because you're our magic genie, but God, you're going to do it because we have held in faith that you have promised good things for your people, that you have prophesied through your people. You have spoken and we will hold on to your word and your truth because you are the one true God. Now, as we continue on in Isaiah, we get to a a, a longer prophecy or a longer um, fulfillment of prophecy because it went beyond just the Babylonian captivity since not everything in Isaiah that everything Isaiah prophesied was fulfilled during the Jews' return to Israel in the 6th century of BC. So catch that. They were out for seven decades and then they came back, but it wasn't everything that Isaiah had prophesied. In the long-term sense, Isaiah's prophesy, or prophecy pointed to the coming of the Messianic King, that is, Jesus, and to the one who would precede him as the forerunner, which is John. And that's what Mark is trying to get us to see here. He is looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the risen Christ knowing the events that have already happened and saying, look at the prophecy. The one you know as Jewish people, as those who would have studied or heard, you might live in the Roman Empire. And yes, he is speaking to the Romans, but that doesn't mean there weren't Jewish Romans. There weren't people that still had a history or maybe grew up in the Jewish tradition. And he's referencing this Old Testament history saying, you know this. So let me show you through the filter of the risen Christ that all of this that you know has come to pass. We are waiting no longer. We have seen the messenger, the forerunner that came and declared who Jesus was, that started preparing the people by baptism, by confession of sin, by repentance. 
and made way for the king to arrive. He prepared the people and prepared the ways. And the uncompleted message of Isaiah is completed here. And it's interesting to note that John was both fulfillment of prophecy and a prophet in his own right. And some scholars would argue the last Old Testament prophet. But unlike John, who I have just mentioned was likely the last of the Old Testament prophets, we, you and I, are not telling of the coming Messiah in the same way. He's already been. And the thing is that we are also called to prophesy. In in Joel 2.28, which I spoke about a month ago, this was hammered into me in, in Bible college over and over again. It says, on that day or in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your, your young and and." Your young men and women will prophesy, and your young men and old men will dream dreams, and I will pour out my spirit on the young and the old and and the the servant, and, and everything will be saturated in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we will do the things that the Old Testament prophets did. We are called to be the New Testament prophets, to prepare the way, to repair the roads. We are telling of a Messiah who has already come, though, who is still with us. We are telling of his coming again, and we are telling of us going to be with him. There is a change, a difference here, that when John was preparing the way, when Isaiah was talking about preparing the way, it was of the coming of the king to arrive, that Jesus would arrive. And now in our prophecy, in our telling of the gospel and our preparing of the way. We are telling how we will go. There will be a change. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. We will go to be with Jesus instead of him just coming again to be on this earth. That time has passed and something new is coming. Something new is being built. The narrative is different and we are called to prepare the way. Now, in your Bible, if you are looking at uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 2, you will notice that there's a little number 2 right after it. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And that's because some manuscripts say the prophets. We need to remember here that our canon, which is the Bible that we read and, and preach from, our canon, the books of it, are actually a collection of manuscripts that were pieced together. Different versions have been destroyed or are damaged or adapted throughout the centuries, and it is their collective similarities and commonalities that make up what we read. And what this means is that parts have been written again and again and again. People heard from Mark, and they wanted others to hear of Mark's book, and so they copied it out and wrote it out and made more copies and more copies and more copies, and over time, these have survived, and we piece them together to know how many things line up and how many parts were, okay, was that added in at a later time, or was this omitted? And we're trying to find the most perfect original copy of what Mark had written, because that is where we believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken, that God has spoken to his people. And so that's why when you read your Bible, it's a little bit encyclopedic and has all these different references because it lets you know where the prophets have spoken because they're an Old Testament reference or where some manuscripts put it a little differently. And then it, all of this collectively put together is why the Bible is one of the most historically accurate books to ever exist. 
Because there have been so many copies of the manuscripts over the centuries. People continue to copy and share this information over and over again. It's how historians collect data. They look and see how many copies of this thing can we see. The more copies it is, the more likely it happened. And so the Bible is one of the most copied, if not the most copied thing. That's why it is so historically accurate. And as believers, we must be readers of the Word to understand this history. And we must study the Word to understand this history. And at the end of it all, the Word of God is Jesus. And we are looking through everything with a filter of the risen Christ. Pete ends again says this, Watching the New Testament writers at work yields a valuable lesson for Christian readers today. Explaining Jesus drove the early Christian writers to read their Bible in new and sometimes radically different ways. The Bible was non-negotiable as God's word. But it wasn't God's final word. Jesus was, because Jesus continues to speak in our lives today. So when the Old Testament talks about Jesus, you're not going to find him on a surface level. You need to read it with the filter of the risen Christ to see it, to, see it, to hear it, to understand it. We naturally, as, as modern Christians, have that filter. We know that Jesus rose again. That's what has brought us into the church, into this family of believers, is this understanding that Jesus died and rose again, and that he is gospel, he is good news, he was here, and he will come again. That changes everything for us and how we read the Old Testament. But Mark is speaking to an audience who wasn't fully aware of that yet. And so as he is referencing the Old Testament, he is referencing it with a filter that he wants them to understand, which is why we started with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the filter we're using as we look at Isaiah. So let's really bring it back. This is, as I've broken it all apart, I want to try and stitch it back together to understand uh, what Mark is saying with these two prophets. So let's read it again. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The phrase, it is written, was a normal way in the, for the New Testament writers to designate quotations from the Old Testament. Say, of saying, in the Old Testament you have heard, or you saw it written in Malachi or, or in, in Joel or whatever, because the Old Testament was so well known and it was part of their culture to have it memorized and internalized, you could just say it is written, and as you began to quote scripture, it would trigger the memory of those who have already studied it. Now, for us, that doesn't work so well, because we haven't studied the Old Testament. We haven't grown up in a Jewish system. We have come as what we'll say as modern Christians, and so we take the Bible as a whole, the Old Testament and the New Testament, as one— and so we need those little encyclopedic references to know who Mark or who the other authors are quoting. So it would have been obvious that the combination of the two quotes, 
which says, uh, you've heard it written in Isaiah, but uh, the combination of the two quotes, first from Malachi and then second from Isaiah, they would have known this because they would have known those quotes. Now, one commentator said this, the fact that Mark does not mention Malachi's name, but introduces both writers with the phrase, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, it's not problematic. It was not uncommon at that time when citing multiple Old Testament prophets to refer to the more prominent prophet being Isaiah and just kind of tuck the others in with it. And again, this is preparing the way. They knew the scripture so well that they could combine it to say this actually references the exact same thing. This talks about everything in a whole. The biblical writers were continually shaping the gospel, the good news, the the message of Jesus in a way that would be understood by the audience they were trying to reach. Now, because these two prophecies fit together so perfectly and both refer to the same person, they might have been frequently used together as Christian or by the Christians. Like it, it may have just been a saying that came out, a, a remembrance. Like we have different things that we quote. We like to uh, quote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the things I have declared for you, uh, de- or promised you, declares the Lord. Um, we quote that all the time. We know it. We can reference it right away. It's one of those things we know. John 3.16 is another one we have very common on the tip of our tongues. And so when people begin to say it, we know exactly what they're talking about. And so for the early Christians, it may have been that you could just start, behold, I send my messenger, and they would know we're talking both Malachi and Isaiah here because it is talking of the messenger. It is talking of the coming messianic king. It is talking of all of this come together that they've been studying since childhood. And Mark's appeal here to the ancient Hebrew prophets is an important one because it's demonstrating that the king's arrival was not a secondary plan or an afterthought, that God had this very plan and had been working it out throughout the centuries. That God had told the ancestors, the previous generations of this happening, it wasn't a fluke that Jesus showed up and that John prepared the way, uh, making the roads clear, calling for sin and repentance and baptism. None of that was just a, oh, hey, I guess it happened. Looks like it worked out well. But God prepared this centuries ago through the Old Testament prophets. And in keeping with that plan, the ancient prophets had predicted the coming of the king's forerunner hundreds of years before he was born. So let's break out the two quotations in their fullness of what the early Christians may have already understood and known and memorized. Malachi 3.1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This can also be paralleled with Exodus 23. 20 to 21, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. The people knew that Jesus was coming. They didn't know it was Jesus in name, but they knew that a Savior was coming. They'd been waiting for him for centuries. They knew these prophecies and had taken them to heart. 
As we move on, we, we hit Isaiah, which is the second half, and it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, which seems kind of tragic, which is why I believe they paired Malachi before it, where it says, Behold, I send my messenger. But what we see in the next verse of Isaiah is an adaptation again. The way it's written in Isaiah is actually different than how Mark quotes it. And there's a reason for that. He's doing this for his audience that they would understand and capture what the prophets were saying, what he was trying to get out. Because like many of you, I read Mark rather than Isaiah. And so I have memorized the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. But that's Mark's analogy. What Isaiah 40 verse 3 actually says, a voice cries, pause, in the wilderness, and this is what the voice is saying, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Same message, different words, but the change matters. It's what makes the Bible so amazing. The New Testament writers read and quoted and paraphrased the Old Testament to make things understandable and applicable just as we do with the New Testament. As we quote from our heart and from our head and we uh, paraphrase it a bit so that the language or we give different metaphors in a way that someone say, I can understand what you're saying about Jesus now. I can understand how Jesus may have been here of the importance of God, of the importance of prayer, of the importance of reading scripture, of community, all the things that we admire and cherish in our Christian heritage. We need to be able to present them to people and we need to prepare the way for that. Not that there would be a Baha'u'llah and the hardest way to understand that, but we would follow in the tradition of Isaiah and the fulfillment of that prophecy that we would prepare the way, that we would repair the roads and prepare the people for the king. Isaiah goes on to say this, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mark took Malachi, mixed it with Isaiah, and showed it through the lens of a risen Christ. That these things that God has declared have come to pass and they were coming to pass again. And we believe that they will come to pass once more. That Jesus comes again and that we are the mouthpiece, that we are the prophets, we are the ones preparing the way and preparing the people. In the ancient world, a royal forerunner, forerunner was charged with making the road ready for the king's arrival. But how is John doing that for the coming Messiah? Rather than clearing literal roads and debris of uh, physical debris, John sought to remove obstacles of stubborn unbelief from the hearts and minds of the people. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the call of the church. To remove obstacles of stubborn unbelief from the hearts and the minds of the people. My church family, the way of the Lord is the way of repentance. 
This is what John called people to. This is what the messenger called people to. This is what the prophets said was coming. The way of the Lord is the way of repentance, of turning from sin to righteousness, of turning spiritual paths that are crooked into ones that are straight and holy. Preparing the way. Isaiah spoke of Jesus and John, and I believe it speaks of us too. For us to do as Jesus commanded, to go out into the world and share the good news, means that we need to prepare the way. So as I invite the band back, I ask you to think about this. Are you doing that? As you set your spiritual life up? Are you preparing the way for the Father to speak into your life? Have you made room? Or are you full of yourself? As you speak to others about faith, and if you aren't, maybe that's the challenge you need to think about. Are you able to speak about your faith? Are you able to speak about it in a way that makes sense, that you would repair roads? There's a huge history uh, of church hurt in our culture, and yet I find some of the easiest ways to speak to people about faith is repairing the damage that has been done previously, the misconceptions, the misnomers, the misunderstandings. And presenting the true gospel, not just words in a book, but Jesus and what he means, what he does. For us to do as Jesus commanded, we need to go out into the world and share the good news, which means we need to prepare the way. The good news is that the king has come, that he has died. That he has risen to life again. That he has cured the curse of sin. That he has defeated the penalty of death. That he is our God. He is our Savior. He is our King. That he is good news. That he is gospel. That he is prophecy fulfilled. He is Jesus. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Amen.